It is great to see you. If you're new, they're not clapping for me. We clap because lives are changed around here, and two more people put their faith in Jesus Christ at our church. So yeah, God, for that. Uh, how's everybody doing? I'll explain the jersey. It's a part of the sermon. Everybody relax. It's coming. Uh, you can look in the back of your bulletins. There's all kinds of... Uh, uh, opportunities, welcome lunches coming up. If you're uh, here in our church, there, there's just been an outpouring of interest and involvement in the programs of our church. We had, I think, almost twice as many kids show up for Awana as we were anticipating uh, Wednesday night, which is great. Uh, and we'll talk more about that as I preach today, but uh, uh, women's ministry is growing, men's, er, er, you know, tons of high school and junior high students. Uh, it is a great season if you're a part of our church to get involved. And so I encourage you to be a part of ministry uh, around here as God brings us more and more people to minister to. Um, uh, today we're going to be talking about our neighbors. Uh, last week we talked about telling our neighbors. Today we're going to talk about loving our neighbors. Uh, but before I do that, we're going to have someone from the, from the body of Christ here uh, lead us in prayer as we prepare for our sermon. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Let's pray. Father God. Holy God, creator of everything, creator of the universe, creator of me, creator of everyone here in this room. I pray that you will be with us. I pray that you'll bless this sermon today. I, I pray that the uh, words that come out of Mark are from you, that you would push him aside, as he always says, so that he can share right from you the Holy Spirit to us, so that it will touch our hearts. Father God, any barriers that are in this room right now that of, of pride and and um, uh, self-confidence and uh, boastfulness or, or whatever it is, uh, uh, fear, uh, panic, the, um, uh, just the terrible troubles and things that are going through people's minds that might, uh, that might put a barrier between you and them today. I pray that you will just break that down, open each and every one of their hearts, and, uh, and let, let the Holy Spirit speak to each one of them. Bless this sermon. Bless the uh, Pastor Mark, and, um, and just thank you for everything that you've poured out and all the blessings that you poured out on us. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you were here last week, we filled up a fish tank with cards. Uh, we actually uh, were challenged, all of us, to write down the names of some people who may not know Jesus yet. And uh, most of you wrote at least three names, which means, you know, if only 1,000 people, which there's more on a weekend that come here, if only 1,000 people put their names in here, it's like 3,000 names of people in our area that we uh, believe don't know Jesus yet. There's a huge need uh, for ministry amongst our neighbors. And so uh, that's what we're spending our time talking about over these three weeks. Last week we talked about telling our neighbor and how we can do that. Uh, but this week we're going to talk about, man, one of the most important component of, of being able to tell is being able to love. You won't get your foot in the door if you don't love them. Uh, they'll know that you're just trying to sell them uh, some faith, some religion, but if you love them and it comes from your heart and they see it in your life, uh, then uh, the hearts of men can be won for Jesus. I, I went to a baseball game, we're going to do the Jersey thing, I went to a baseball game this week, and uh, actually two baseball games between the Red Sox and the Rays. Uh, they split the series two and two. Does anybody want to guess which games I saw? I saw the two games the Red Sox lost. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. See, they, they've done that every service, and I'm like, is there no sympathy for your pastor at all? I mean, I know you're Rays fans, but I pay good money to go to that game. Anyway. Oh, thank you. One person. 
Love your neighbor. All right, anyway. Uh, I went to the game, though, and I, I wore, on Thursday when I went to the game, a guy took me, he was gracious to take me, but uh, on Thursday afternoon we went to the game, I wore this jersey. Lots of uh, Red Sox fans were there uh, and wearing the same kind of, you know, uh, team wear. Uh, lots of Rays fans wearing theirs. And I even walked, has anybody seen this at, like, uh, you know, contests now or games? People from other teams' fan bases will come and wear that team's gear. Like, I saw Cubs fans wearing Cub gear and I wanted to go up to them, hey, dummy, they're not here. They're not here. I mean, I know you love your Cubs, but they're not playing. You know that, right? They're not here. Uh, but what makes people do that? Wear, wear their team's gear to a game their team's not even involved in. Uh, they're, they're fans. They love that team. Uh, we got bumper stickers and flags. And, I mean, we, we, we're, you know, a sports-crazed nation. And, and, and it's great. It's fine. It's, it's cool. Maybe, uh, you know, during the football season, we'll see more Bucks shirts, especially as they get better and start winning more, right? This is the season. But uh, um, that's just what we do. Would you be surprised to know that the body of Christ, the, the, the Christians, have their own jersey? It's, uh, it's one that's given to us when we find faith in Jesus Christ. Our jersey is love. We're supposed to wear God's love everywhere we go. And why do we wear this jersey? Why, do, why are we so in love? We're big fans of love. We want love to win. It's our greatest hope in life. See, love is kind of at the center of this whole conversation. This whole God and us conversation starts with love. It says that God so, what is it, the word? Love, the world, that he gave his son Jesus so that anybody who believed in him wouldn't perish. It, it, it starts with love, and it, and it continues in love, or at least it's supposed to. I don't know about you but I sometimes take my jersey off. Does anybody else take their jersey off every once in a while? I mean, with most of the world, it's totally fine. Oh, you're awesome. I love you. You're great. And we can love each other, and it's all cool. And even sometimes with the people I don't know, as long as they're not hateful towards me or persecuting towards me, love flows easily. But when people get kind of rough, well, that's when I'm like, well, none for you. <laughs> but that's not how it's supposed to be. Bible says love your neighbor. Bible says love your enemy. That's a tough one, right? Isn't that one of those verses you wish you could kind of take out every once in a while? That's what the Bible says. In fact, Jesus was teaching on this whole idea of love, and this is what he said in John chapter 13. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And then he says, here's the jersey. Don't forget to put on your jersey. He says, by this, by love, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's our marker. It's the sign of who we're with. Christians are by default, and by the grace of God, fans of love. Are you? Some of you might be here this morning, you're not quite uh, crossed that line in faith in Jesus. Hey, man. Uh, we love you enough to tell you about them. Uh, but many of you are here this morning, and you have made a decision for Jesus Christ. The greatest thing that you can do in your life for Christ is to love, to love him and to love others. In the video before I came out, the, the young lady, uh, Bree, she was talking about that. Let's stand and read those verses uh, all together here in the book of Matthew. This is what Jesus was saying when he said those words in that video. He, stand and read them with me. Ready? It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. 
And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law. And the prophets. May God bless the reading of his word. Have a seat. Uh, bedrock scripture there. That is like, uh, strip it all down. Give me the, give me the basics. And, and, and that's what Jesus does. A teacher of the law comes to him and says, hey, man, uh, what's the most important commandment? He did it to trick him. He was hoping that he would, you know, pick the wrong commandment and they could show him, well, that's not the most important. But Jesus nailed it, as he always did. Uh, he said, I'll, I'll give you the most important law. He went right to the Jewish prayer, the, the Hebrew prayer that was prayed by all Jews every day, the Shema. And he quoted Deuteronomy and said, it's the, the great command is to love the Lord your God. But then he said, hey, man, bonus tracks. I'll give you the second greatest command. You want that? The second greatest command is to love others as you love yourself. And then he said this, and this might be a part you never even read or heard when you were hearing that be uh, preached or quoted, he says, all of the law and prophets depend on these two things. Uh, we get the law and the prophets from our Old Testaments. The law is encased pretty much in those first five books of your Bible. They're called the Pentateuch, and, and they're also known as the section in your Bible called the law. The prophets are at the end of your Old Testament, and the prophets uh, principally came to Israel from different uh, times in their history to, to reassert the importance of the law and to the, to the relationship that man was supposed to have with God through the law. But here Jesus says, no, man, love is the foundation for both of those, the law and the prophets. Love for God, love for others. It's like having two legs on something. You, you stand on both. And here's what's happened throughout the years. Throughout the years, there's been lots of people who love other people. I mean, love is not just uh, property of the Christians. I'm going to go over <laughs> but it, how you doing? But if you if you love just people and not God, it's an incomplete life. You've not fulfilled the purpose for your creation. You're, you're supposed to love God. But here, here's what happens: people get into the church and they love God and a few people, but they don't love all the people, and so they have this imbalanced life as well. And what love is meant to be is a love for God and a love for the people, and everything else flows from that and rests in that. This life with God starts with, ends with, and has its middle filled with love. It says in uh, Romans chapter uh, 13, uh, owe no one anything. We used that verse when we were getting out of debt. Did you guys know we're out of debt? We're out of debt. And as a church, uh, we were about, yeah, oh yeah, we still get excited about that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, but about, it's almost four years ago now uh, that, uh, that we started this process of, of having no debt in our church. And, and uh, by God's grace, we retired about $3.5 million of debt in about two and a half years. And, uh, and so uh, we use this verse to kind of remind us, hey, we, we don't want to owe anybody. And this, this, is, this isn't the sermon about that, but it's all throughout Scripture. Try not to be anybody's debtor. Owe no, nothing to anybody. But I don't know if you read the rest of the verse when we were quoting it back during Rise Up. The rest of the verse says, except, so, oh, wait, there's one debt we need to pay. Don't owe anybody except this one debt, to love each other. For the one who loves another has what? Fulfilled the law. There it is again. Love fulfills the law. 
It's interesting to think about love as being a debt. Have you ever thought about love being a debt? It's this debt that we owe each other. And it's not a debt that we owe each other because the other person has loved us first, right? That would make love conditional, and we don't preach conditional love around here. It's meant to be unconditional. So what can Paul possibly be talking about when he talks about having love as a debt? Well, here's what he's probably alluding to, the fact that um, because God has loved us and because Jesus has died for us and because we have salvation and eternity through our faith in Christ, and that's been given to us, and it's, it's such a gift that we could never repay, well, then the very least that we can do, since we can never repay that debt, is to do God's bidding in loving his people. Ever been out to eat with somebody, and, and there's the fight over the check? I talk about this from time to time. But, you know, someone grabs a check and pays for it, and, and you want to be a part of the party, and so you're like, well, at least let me get the tip. Right? Ever done that? Anybody? Okay, good, you're here. This is essentially what Paul is saying, God's saying through Paul. He's like, hey, man, get the tip. You can't pay back God's love. You can't pay back God's gift of salvation. But the very least you can do is to love the people that he loves. You owe that. In, in fact, you should, you should think of love in that way. I owe this to you. Not because of you, but because of him. I owe you my love. It's my thank you to a God who has given me his grace. All throughout the scriptures, it talks about the importance of love. And for our purposes in this series, as we talk about telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ, man, love is the cement, the glue that holds this thing together. It's the, it's the oil that, 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 that uh, you know, smooths the way for us to even present the gospel. Love kicks open the door so that Jesus can be seen and heard. I know there's tons of people in here who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. It probably came as the result of some follower of Jesus loving you enough to tell you about him. Could have been your parents, another family member. Could have been a, a, a Sunday school teacher when you were a kid. It could have been a friend as an adult who just took the time and loved you enough to let you know that God loves you too and that you can have life with him and through him. So we're going to talk about love and its connection to us being able to tell our neighbors about Jesus. We have to love them first. And we're going to go to a, a chapter just previous to this one in chapter 12, and we're going to see Paul's description of love. He, uh, the Bible gives us all kinds of descriptors of love. In, in 1 Corinthians 13, you've probably been to a wedding and heard that one. Love is patient. Love is kind, right? It's a good one. But Paul describes it here in Romans, and I want us to read from Romans, the way that we can love our neighbors. We want to answer this question today. What can be said of the love we are to show our neighbors? The first thing is this. Uh, love is for real, or is a for real, determiner of action. Everybody say that with me. Ready? Love is a for real determiner of action. I put for real in there because that's our language. That's what we say when we're trying to figure out if someone's being genuine. For real? Are you for real? For real? Right? That's our question. Can I trust you on this? Am I getting the whole article? God wants our love to be whole, not partial, not faked. Look what it says in Romans. Paul says this in chapter 12, verse 9. He says, let love be genuine. The Greek word for genuine there is anahippokritos, which basically means without hypocrisy. No fake cease. We could fake love. Who can fake love out there? Anybody good at faking love? Come on, who's open a gift at Christmas? Come on. Oh, I love it. 
And as soon as you leave for the holidays, I'm donating it to Echo, right? <laughs> That's what you mean when you say I love it. You mean I hate it. Anybody ever, uh, you're, you're really mad at your kid or your husband or your wife, and they're going out the door and they don't know you're mad at them because they've been secretly driving you crazy that morning? And they leave with a happy, well, have a great day, love you. And you say through gritted teeth, love you too, right? You ever done that? <laughs> Maybe somewhere there is, is some truth and some actual love, but uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm easy at throwing around the word. I'm not always great at being genuine with what's behind it. God wants our love to be genuine. He wants us to love with his love. His love's different. His love is agape love. We're used to phileo love, which is another Greek word for love. It means brotherly love. It's kind of like human love. It's conditional love. You love me, I'll love you. But God, he's like, no, no, no. That's taking off your jersey every now and again. Keep the jersey on. My love never ends. My love never fails, he tells us in Corinthians. My love is constant and sure. Keeps no records of wrong. It's a love anyway love. It's agape love. That's the Greek word that we're talking about here. He says, my love is the love I want you to love with. And he says, I want you to love in such a way <clears throat> that when you love, it, it determines how you live. Did you know that love can shape how you live? If you live in love, you live in righteousness. Here's what it says in the verse. It says, let love be genuine. And then it basically says, here's what genuine love can produce. It can produce the ability in you to abhor, to hate what is evil. In some translations, it says, let love be genuine. And then the next word is hate. It's really weird. But what he wants us to do is hate what's evil. True love, genuine love, chooses to hate or abstain from or abhor what is evil and to hold fast to what is good. Doesn't that stand to reason? If we love God with all our heart, soul, and minds, we're going to choose his ways. We're going to choose his righteousness because we love him. We're just going to follow him. And if we love others as we love ourselves and love them with the love that God has given us, we're going to treat them right too. Love is this powerful thing. It shapes our choices. Paul goes on, and he's going to explain love in, in two venues, in two areas. Uh, first, in the Christian world. He's going to talk about love being for our Christian neighbors. That's us. It's each other. Look around. Look around. Here they are. Oh, look at them. Here they are. I don't know them. It's weird. I just caught eyes with somebody. It's very weird, Mark. But uh, that's what love is for. It's for us to share with each other. He says as much in these next few verses. He says, love one another with brotherly affection. He's talking about the family of God. That's what brotherly means there, the family of God. I, I, I grew up in the Northeast, and I came down here to the South and started going to churches, and that's part of the vernacular. You know, I, I met guys, you know, for the first time sometimes, and they'd be like, hey, Brother Mark. And I was like, I don't remember you in the family pictures at all. That was me and my sisters and my mom and my, you weren't there. But I caught on that they're just picking up on this theme of us being a family. And isn't it great that you got a, a spiritual family here on the earth? Now, sometimes we fight like family. Sometimes we act like family. But the way it's supposed to work is that we got each other's back. And I don't have to know anything else about you except you're a, a follower of Jesus and I know all I need to know. And I'm, I'm here for you. I want to be a part of what uh, God's plan for your life is, right? He says, love one another with brotherly affection. And then he says this, outdo one another in showing honor. You know what's supposed to happen in the church? There's not supposed to be any shine suckers in the church. 
By that I mean there's not meant to be any glory hogs. Uh, the, the, the Bible says in the book of James that we're supposed to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and let him lift us up. And so the body of Christ, if love is going to reign here, everybody's got to stay low. And we've got to, whenever something good happens in our lives or whenever we get recognized, in fact, I would say that the best leaders are the leaders who get up and when they're being congratulated or celebrated for something that has happened under their leadership, they get up and they spend the whole time explaining how they had nothing to do with this and here's so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and it's because of them that we were able to accomplish what we've accomplished. That's a good leader. I was uh, in Africa this summer in Uganda, visited the Village of Hope that many of you know we are partners with now for almost 10 years. And we've had a, a couple from our church who are actually on the ground there, the Dowds, Mike and Janelle. And I love Mike. I call him Africa Mike. And uh, we just have a great time when we get to be together over there or over here. And, uh, uh, but I just, uh, the reason I love Mike is because he exemplifies what Paul just said here in Romans chapter 12. Uh, he, he's been over there and... Uh, uh, a huge factor in the village becoming what it is. But we took a tour of the village with Mike, our team, and uh, he went from place to place, building to building, site to site. And everywhere he went, whatever Ugandan national was there, he would grab that Ugandan and be like, this is Bosco. And Bosco built every building on this property. And when you see the properties around here and the excellence that they're built with, you need to remember that God used Bosco to do that. And I, you know what he did? He would grab these people, men and women both, by the shoulders, and he put them right in front of him. I don't know if he did that intentionally, but I loved it. You know why? Because it's like it's, Mike is practicing the it's not me life. It's not me. It's God. It's God through these people. And listen, wouldn't it be great if a church got together and all committed to not sucking the shine, to not taking all of it for themselves, and to point, wouldn't everybody in here get some of the shine if everybody was committed to pointing it to somebody else? That's how it's supposed to work. He goes on and he says this, verse 12, or verse 11. Don't be slothful in zeal. There's a sentence we say every day. It, it's basically a negative that's just saying, uh, fire up. Y'all get amped. Uh, Mark's verse. He's saying, everybody, listen, this is going to take every part of you, this love thing. Don't be slothful in zeal. Fire up. Be fervent in spirit. Be fervent in serving the Lord. Verse 12, it says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. All of these things requiring incredible amounts of energy. Uh, naturally, they don't occur apart from the help of God. Ever felt that way? Love's just too hard in this situation. This person has gone too far. They are not lovable. And someone else is going to have to love them. I can't. Jersey off. Right? But God says, no, man, fire up. Rejoice in hope. Persevere. Be patient in tribulation. Get on, get on your knees and pray for the love that you lack. But love anyway, that's, that's what love is supposed to do. I got uh, uh, back from my sabbatical. If you haven't been here, I, I took a couple months off this summer. I was blessed to be able to do so and and uh, one of the things that I came back convicted that I needed to do was exercise again. So I joined a gym for the umpteenth time. Here we go. Um, uh, but it's been going well for three weeks. And, uh, but the first day, I started to run towards the gym. Does anybody remember? Has anybody been there? You've not worked out for a while, and the first day, you're back, right? 
I walked out to the gate. My, my house is, you know, down this little driveway, and there's a gate. So I walked. I said, I'm going to warm up by walking to the gate, and then when I get to the gate, I'm going to start running. I'm going to run as far as I can. I made it to the next house. <laughs> that was it. That's all I had. Far enough. And then I walked the rest of the way to the gym. Well, every day after that that I would work out, uh, I would try to run a little bit further, a little bit further. And now I'm getting up into the two- and three-mile range. Isn't that great? Yay. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, you're happy about that, but the Red Sox losing. Anyway, um, but yesterday I ran. I, I got up Saturday morning, and I, I started to run towards the gym. And here's my deal. The first five minutes of running, I hate. Can't stand it. And some of you aren't old enough to understand this because you've got young legs and young lungs, and it doesn't hurt, and I'm angry at you, but I still love you. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm old. Older, I know it's relative, uh, but it, it's harder for me to run now. And so I had lifted my legs the day before uh, or the last time I'd been to the gym, and, and so those were all just crusty and tight, and, and, uh, and, and I'm trying to run, and my back hurts. And all I want to do is go back to the house and have a donut, all right? That's all I wanted to do. That's all I wanted to do. But I kept going. And I, and I, uh, I know if I can get to this one stop sign, it's going to take about five minutes for me to get to this one stop sign. If I can get to that stop sign, everything's going to change. Because here's the deal with me. If I can get through the hard part, the first five minutes, the rest of it is glorious. I mean, I like exercising. I like the feeling of accomplishment. I like getting more and more distance between me and my house. I like being able to come home and tell my wife, this is how far I ran today, right? But that first five minutes, that's the make it or break it time. And here's what God's telling you. When it comes to love, yeah, there's going to be people in your life it's not easy. There's going to be moments in your life. It's especially hard. But you know what God wants you to do? Make it through the first five minutes. Commit to going. Commit to loving. Let's just start this, and here's what's going to happen. I'm going to come alongside you, and I'm going to get you through the hard part, and then you're going to get to that part that is really fun. Can I share with you that one of the other things God convicted me on this summer is that I need to love more? And as I have allowed the Holy Spirit to move me past myself and into just loving I'm finding joy in that space that I've just, I'm just not akin to having because I'm too focused on me. If you can just get through the hard part, man, love is the way to go. The reason God commands it and hopes it for us is because it's the best life that we can live, this life of love. It goes on and it says this in verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. He's getting into the generosity stuff now, right? Everybody's like, oh, he's going for the wallet. Here he goes. <clears throat> yeah, uh, unabashedly, I've talked to you about our, our possessions. They're, they're ours by the grace of God. Everybody still agree with me on that, that if you have something, it's because God has chosen to give it to you, right? Yeah, it's God's grace. And so if someone else in the body of Christ, in this family that you're a part of, can use your resources or your time or your talents to, to help them in their lives? Should we be available with that stuff? Yeah. Contribute to the needs of the saints. It says seek to show hospitality. That's a convictor right there. I kind of skipped over that before. You know what I always thought? I always thought, hey, when the opportunities arise or when people make it clear to you that they need help, go and help them. That's what the command is. But you know what the real command is? The command is wake up every day looking for people to help. Does everybody get how that just went up a little bit just then? Because many of us in here, we'd probably say, well, if, you know, it was really apparent that someone needed help and I was there, you know. But what, what Paul just said is that love 
wakes up every day and seeks to find people that need help. Oh, do we have to die, 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 die for that to happen? Oh, it's, it, I mean, it's just so hard to get to that point. I, I still struggle with it, to wake up every day with the mentality that I owe people my love, that I should look for ways that I can help people. I like helping me. You like helping you? I like helping me. But to live to help others? I don't know. I'm working on it. Email came out this past Wednesday, or Thursday, I guess, after Wednesday night, about this whole Awana thing that I was telling you about earlier. Awana is just, if you're not familiar with it, it's this club for kids, basically, in elementary school. And we thought we were going to have, like, 80 or so, or 70 or so. We got 140, okay? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, God. It's awesome. But here's the deal. We had adults for 70 or 80, okay? Uh, yay, God, but ah, that's, that's basically what was going on at Awana, right? And so the email comes out from Wendy, our director of children's ministries over there. She says, hey, uh, she wrote to the staff of our church. She said, hey, we're going to pray that our church body, and this is a double, double uh, meaning illustration here, so catch both. We're going to pray that our church body will step up and assist us with things like Awana and the other areas of service around here so that it isn't a panic. We don't have, you know, 140 elementary school uh, age students uh, running amok in our church. We're going to pray that the body of Christ will respond. Everybody pick up what your pastor's doing there. We're going to pray that the body of Christ will respond. Please, body of Christ, respond. Are you with me? <laughs> but until they do, we have another club meeting next week, another night that these kids are coming. Until the church responds and we have other people serving in these capacities, would you, as pa if pastors and staff, be willing to come and serve? I got that email. I'm going to tell you the first thing I thought when I got it. No. <laughs> and like, long. No. <laughs> and here's why. Wednesday's my Friday. I take Thursday and Friday off. Wednesday's my Friday night. I don't want to come spend Friday night hanging out with a bunch of snot-nosed kids. No offense. They're yours. I love them. <laughs> love, love. I'm just telling you that's my first reaction, not, my, not the highlight of my week, not something I'm looking forward to doing. It's not my gift. Are you with me? Is anybody with me? Some of you are like, yeah, I totally know. That's why I'm not doing it, Saunders. That's why I'm not doing it. <laughs> okay, here we go. Here we, I'm just, that's my first reaction. Holy Spirit just cold cocking, just punched me right in the face, right in the throat. Bam! Selfish. I was like, all right, all right, all right. I'll do it. And here's why. It's going to make me look great. I'll be the pastor that came down from his high lofty perch and served with these needy children. And everybody will look at me and be like, wow, what a great leader. Seriously, come on. D tell me you haven't done something like that before. I'll serve because of how it'll make me look. That was my next thought. And the Holy Spirit went, He said, Mark, you're preaching this this week. Can we get a little bit lower? And I said, you're right, Lord. And I was going to write this big, you know, email to the whole staff that was included about how I'm going to sacrifice my Wednesdays. And, and, and here's what I did. I just wrote, I'm in. And I, and I meant it. And I'm not telling you the story to be, because hmm, hmm, everybody got my first couple reactions. <laughs> I'm just telling you that this is the kind of love that God wants us to have. If the, if the church of Jesus Christ had that mentality, had that kind of 
laid down brokenness to the will of God in their lives, man, there's just no telling what churches could accomplish in the world that we live in. I think far too often, between what the Holy Spirit hopes for us and asks of us, there's this big mirror. And we just stare at ourselves. And we never consider what he has for us beyond us. He switches gears uh, here as we close, and he's, he's going to teach us more about uh, loving our not-yet-Christian neighbors, which is kind of the theme of our series. Uh, it starts with the church. We need to learn love in the, in, the, in the confines of the church. It's kind of our practice grounds. Let's learn to love and love correctly uh, with each other who are com- committed to loving, right? But the whole purpose of us learning love in here is so that we can take it out there because there's a whole world, thousands of people, even in our community, who don't know the love of God, and the only way they're going to hear about it or even see it on display is if we who have it show it to them and tell them about it. So let's talk about love for our not yet Christian neighbors. It says this, Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Oh, that's a tough one for me. I like loving you if you love me back, but if you're against me, man, that's just a tough one for me. But can I, everybody look at me. When God and his love are on display in those persecuting times, when we're in the crucible of pain and conflict and love shows up there, I mean, in the other times, I believe that God's love kind of whispers, maybe talks in a low tone, but in, in, the, in the tough stuff of life, when God's love showed up, it's like, Megaphones. It's like, ah, here's God's love. And that's what happened in my life. I was a high school senior, far, far from God. I grew up in a Christian home, uh, but I uh, was kind of going through my teen years of rebellion. Uh, My parents decided to move uh, my senior year of high school. Thanks a lot, Mom and Dad, right? And I went uh, dutifully for the first six weeks, and then I lost my mind. And I told my parents, I'm leaving. You can either let me go uh, and, and help me go, or I'm just leaving. And so they helped me, and they got me a house to stay in back in the town that I'd spent my high school years previous. Uh, and I went and lived with Fred and Gail. Uh, Fred and Gail kept me at their house all year. Didn't charge us a dime. I ate their food, slept under their roof, right? Uh, and I, I just hung out at their house. Uh, Gail... Uh, was, still is, the sweetest, one of the sweetest ladies I've ever met in my life. Uh, uh, my mom was a little uh, tougher. Uh, but Gail was just buttery, sweet, soft. Um, and one night I asked, in, in the midst of my rebellion, I was a partier, and one night I asked them if I could borrow the car. I wasn't telling them I was going to a party, uh, but uh, they had things to do with the car, and so I couldn't take it when I wanted. Well, they, went, they got home from whatever they're doing, went to sleep, and I stole their car. I'm not proud of that. I think it's uh, a stupid thing. Uh, but I uh, pushed it in neutral out of their garage and pushed it back when I was done and thought I'd gotten away with it. And, and I had a great time at the party and woke up that next morning. Gail made me breakfast every morning. Every morning, whatever I wanted. I want to go back. I want to go back there. But uh, <laughs> she was uh, about to make me breakfast, and she said, Mark, we need to have a conversation. In this tone, Mark, we need to have a conversation. She'd never said that to me before. I was like, sure, Gail, what do you want to talk about? Well, Mark, uh, I realize now that you uh, 
took it upon yourself to liberate our car from our garage. I stayed up until you got home to make sure you were safe. Uh, and then I let you go to sleep. Uh, we love you, Mark, and that's why we'll let you stay at our house. Uh, but I want to make it very clear. If you ever do that or anything like that again, uh, this situation is over. We're going to have to send you home. Now, how would you like your eggs? <laughs> Wasn't a whole lot of rebuttal. Wasn't a whole lot of, no, I mean, I was busted. But this woman, first of all, if I was staying at your house, is that how you would have acted? I would have met me at the, at the driveway. On the way back, hey, bro, here's a sleeping bag. I don't know where you're sleeping, but you're not sleeping in here. You're done. Steal my car? Really? After all I've done for you? We're done. But Gail slept on it, prayed about it, and said those words to me. Listen, uh, there's been lots of people in my life that God has used to get me to where I am. Gail's one of them. Because I was in a very tenuous situation there as a 17-year-old. And she was one of the, the rays of God's love in a very dark place in my life. And her grace to me and her, her, her tenderness with me was one of the ways that God got me to where I'm preaching to you today. So don't, don't take it for granted that, that love has no place. It does. It has a place in how we react with the world around us. Uh, it goes on. I'm just going to read these verses real fast. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly and never be wise in your own sight. All of those verses, uh, all of those phrases are basically talking about doing life with the people in our lives. Weep with them when they weep. Rejoice when they rejoice. Live in harmony with them. That basically is a Greek word that says think like they do. Have the same mind as the people around you. How do we do that with people in the world? Uh, we're going to think differently about things, especially until they put their faith in Jesus Christ. But as much as we can, in every way that we can, we need to be doing life with the people who don't know Jesus yet. They need to know that they can count on us, that they're not just some you know, uh, goal for us. They've they got a big target, a spiritual target on their back, and we need to get them for Jesus. No, we love them. Even if they never accept, everybody look at me. Even if they never trust Jesus, we love them. Because that's what we're commanded to do. Now, when we do love them well, it's amazing what doors get kicked open. There's a young guy on our staff. His name's Jason. And Jason's going to come out and tell you the story of how people in his life loved him to a spot where he could make a decision for Jesus Christ. Give it up for Jason. Come on out, Jason. <clears throat> Hi, Jason. Hey, Mark. How's it going, bro? It's going. Good, man. Thank you. Jason, what do you do here at our church? I work in the missions department where I'm the mission sidekick. I work with Ricky Fisher here. Yeah, so you're Robin mm -hmm. to his Batman. That's great. <clears throat> Got a little sidekick love there. That's great. Uh, yeah, would you please just tell us a story of how sure. God used people in your life? Go ahead. Absolutely. Um, so I didn't come to faith until a little bit later in life. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, um, and because of this, I was largely ignorant of the faith. Um, apparently, they don't teach Christianity in high school anymore, and so um, 
because of this, um, society had its influence and, um, on my life. And so the latter years of high school, the beginning years of college, I, I pursued uh, many relationships with, uh, with women that were less than honorable, ungodly relationships. And among other things, this is where I had exchanged the glory of God um, for the pursuit and pleasures of this world. Um, in 2007, my parents began to attend Bay Life Church, and I started to attend with them. This was predominantly because I was under their household. My attendance here at Bay Life was not indicative of my faith just because I had an intellectual scent to God, just because I believed in a God. I was not a Christian by any sense or any stretch of the word. Um, in 2010, I joined the United States Army and left for about eight months of training. It was during this time that my father um, would um, sprinkle his letters or conversations with Scripture and, and kind of encourage me um, to the faith. But God was a peripheral, a sideline priority in my life. Um, he might have been somebody I came to um, in distress, but other than that, I looked for meaning in myself and in other people. Um, so I... After that nine or eight months of training, I deployed overseas with the Army in um, 2011-2012. And my father continued to send me scripture. He continued to encourage me. He pursued me wherever I was. And about halfway through my deployment, um, we got an opportunity to go to Jordan to train foreign militaries. And it was here I met a man by the name of Sergeant Mercer. Um, Sergeant Mercer, he was a different kind of person. Um, his character was just one that you don't often see in the military. Um, just a humble guy, perfect by no means, but just respected by everybody. And one day he had stuck up a conversation with me, and we just talked, just genuinely interested in my story, interested in my life. And uh, he asked me if I wanted to go to a Bible study later that evening. Um, I said yes. And I didn't become a Christian that evening. I didn't become a Christian in the subsequent weeks, but what started was a path where I began to seek God, and he began to reveal himself to me. And so for the last month of my deployment, um, we went back to Kuwait, and there they had a chapel. And so I started to go to chapel um, with Sergeant Mercer, and he just began to walk with me and just continue to talk with me. Whenever our schedules didn't conflict, we would go to the chow hall and eat and whatnot. And so in 2012, I came home and started to attend Bay Life again. And I was confronted with my sin and the radical holiness of God. And so um, I surrendered my life to Christ at that um, time, and I came to faith. And I got baptized here by Mark in uh, February of 2013. And the point that I want to emphasize, especially during this series, was that my father and Sergeant Mercer were two people that loved me and that were my neighbors. They were two people who were convinced that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, the only life. They believed that the God of heaven and earth, the almighty creator of you and I who made us in the image of God became incarnate in the person, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ lived uh, a sinless and perfect life and bore our sins on the cross and was buried and rose again in victory and in honor and glory. And because of this conviction, they shared their faith with me. And just because I rejected it the first time, they weren't um, discouraged, but they continued to walk with me um, through this for a matter of years. And um, so Christianity for them was not just a mask that they put on when they came in to church, but as 2 Corinthians 5 tells us, we are all ambassadors of the ministry of reconciliation and ambassadors they go and they represent. So whether I was at home, my father would talk to me. Whether I was in Alabama, I was in Texas, I was in Oklahoma. All over the states, my father pursued me no matter where I was. Sergeant Mercer being 7,000 miles away from home, away from his family, away from his children, in the middle of a desert with no church and no church body, shared his faith with me because he could have anything on his mind at that point. There were so many things that we could have um, just been concerned with, but it was his concern was that there was people here 
who aren't believers in Christ, and I genuinely care and love them, and so I'm going to share their faith with them. And so this was my story, and as I look back on my life, um, my father and Sergeant Mercer were two people who, who got to reap a harvest, but there was a ton of people before that. There was a ton of events that happened in my life, and I'm sure your life too, that were supposed to point me to Christ. And um, Sergeant Mercer, my father, just got to reap that harvest and that labor that have been uh, in my life for the last several years. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Mark. So now, may you and I be ambassadors for Christ. May we put on our jersey and be fans of God and his love. May we practice it here in the body of Christ. May we learn his love together. But then may we take that love that we've learned here and may we share it with the people around us so that guys like Jason come to know Jesus and make a difference for him in the world with us. I went to seminary in Dallas. I got to sit under one of these great teachers, a guy named Howard Hendricks, and this is what he said one of the days that I was there. He says, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And may that be the life that we live, the life of love and caring so that people can know Jesus through us. Let's pray. Hey, God, thanks so much for a chance to talk about you and your love for us. Thank you for it. We don't deserve it. And you still love us anyway. Help us to love people anyway. And help us to love people with purpose, with this idea that you can make a difference in their lives, just like you did with me and with Jason and so many other people in here. Uh, keep us vigilant, God. Help us to be ready. Uh, wake us up to seeking uh, those that we can serve and that we can help uh, in our church and in our communities, God. We just want to make a difference for you. So lead us to that and show us your love. Teach us about it so we can live it out. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, you guys. Have a great day. God bless you as you go. Go in love. If you have any questions, they'll be over here in the corner. Otherwise, God bless you. Yeah.